it's hard to get those words out. You can look around this time of year and you start to see the seasons changing, the evidence of that change. And you're reminded when the temperature drops, the leaves are falling, you're reminded that winter is coming, that it's on its way. And the seasons, really, as God designed it, the seasons serve as a metaphor for life. And we can endure such seasons, can't we? We can endure seasons that are difficult, seasons that, that are difficult for a very long period of time, it seems. We can endure those things because we have a hope. We know that at the end of winter, There's spring. By God's grace, by God's design, he calls us to that endurance. As we turn our attention to the the Christmas season, as we spend these next five weeks uh, preaching, you're going to hear from various parts of the book of Isaiah, the prophecies of Isaiah. And what we intend to do is to shape our anticipation and expectation knowing that the winter won't be forever, knowing that your difficult seasons won't be forever, we know, as we mentioned to begin the service today, that the Lord is coming again. So as we look back and celebrate Christmas, we're also looking forward. As we remind you every year, we celebrate Christmas as a way to renew our anticipation of his glorious return, not just looking back at a historical event. I want to give you a bit of background, very, very little bit of background for Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied in the days leading up to the Assyrian captivity of Israel, and uh, obviously as as much of these uh, prophets did, they prophesied judgment, a lot of judgment. Uh, Isaiah is really unique among the prophets and the way that the book is written, uh, beautiful, beautiful displays of Christ, beautiful prophecies about the birth of Christ specifically. And so we're going to look at that over these next few weeks, those, those prophecies, but then we're going to look to the eternal reign of Jesus on Christmas Day. So I hope you plan on being with us Christmas Day. That will be the conclusion of the series. So Isaiah 11 is where we are today. We're going to be just with verse 1. And this will not be typical preaching for, for, you know, compared to what you're used to. Um, But I want you to go to Isaiah 11. And in Isaiah 11, there are two poems. Uh, First poem is where we'll sort of start today. 
And uh, this first poem is about becoming king and his righteous reign. And then the second one and the following verses, which are split. Um, the second one is about the worldwide ingathering of God's people. So all we're going to do is cover verse 1 today. Isaiah 11, 1. So I'm going to read this. We'll pray, asking the Lord's blessings and continue. Isaiah 11, 1, hear the word of the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Father, we plead for your grace to understand your word, to see Jesus this morning. Heighten our anticipation. Give us the focus we need. Strip away the cares of the world that we might worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The title this morning is Shoot and Root. Obviously, you get that from the verse. I want to give you a little more framework for our series. It's entitled God With Us Forevermore. And that comes from Isaiah 9-7. You're familiar with Isaiah 9-6, or unto us a child is born. Isaiah 9-7 concludes with this statement, from this time forth and forevermore. And this is talking about the eternal reign of Jesus. From this time forth and forevermore. And then it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here's what we need to know in this series. God is zealous for his own glory. He is zealous for the worship of all peoples, for the fame of the name of Jesus around the world. This is what Christmas is all about. John Gill writes this of God's zeal. He says, his zeal, which is no other than the fervent flaming love, will move him to it, this conclusion, and effectual, is effectual to accomplish it. His fervent love for his own glory, which is his ultimate end in all his works of nature, providence, and grace, will engage him to fulfill whatever is foretold concerning the birth of Christ and redemption by him and his offices and kingdom, that is, prophet, priest, king. Since this is greatly concerned in all these things, his zeal or fervent love to his son shown in giving all things to his hand and committing all judgment to him that men may honor him as they do the father. God is zealous for his own glory. He's zealous for his own purposes, his own end. And he is working all things according to that counsel of his will. Not one thing that he wants to do will go undone. His word will do what it's sent to do. And we know the word is Jesus. The theme this morning in seasons of anticipation, our zeal renews through faith in the promised king. In seasons of an anticipation, our zeal renews through faith in the promised king. 
So I want to give you three responses, all of these responses. We should respond in this way to this text. And as we walk through these, you'll see that this is not, as I said, um, this is not typical like what we hear preaching at, at Cedarview normally, but today is more of like a biblical theology, okay? So we're, we're sort of tracing a, a theme, a very you know, specific but, but big theme from certain parts of the Bible, and I hope you'll follow that as we make our way. So uh, Isaiah 11.1 1 is really our jumping off place. In seasons of anticipation, our zeal renews through faith in the promised king. So I'm going to read it again. 11.1, 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So first response, remember the promise, okay? He's saying right here, there shall come forth. There is an expectation, and that expectation for Isaiah is built on the promise of God, the repeated promises of God. So we ought to remember the promise of God. And he refers to here this stump of Jesse. Now, immediately, I hope you're getting the idea of a felled tree, a tree that has been cut down, and that tree is uh, emblematic, it's symbolic of the people of Israel in this day. So God is saying that you're going to be cut down by this Assyrian king. Israel is idolatrous. They're disobeying God. Their leaders are corrupt. Assyria is looming. Ahaz in these days is unbelieving as the king. All these things Isaiah prophesies. And he takes upon this mantle that God has given him because he is one in the long line, really generations of believers in Israel who are clinging to the promise that Messiah will come. Matyar says here, he says, Isaiah believes his own words. When called, he says what? Here am I, send me. And his calling was to preach to people who were blind and deaf and dumb and, above all, as that summarizes, unbelieving. He prophesied of empty land. He prophesied of deportation. He prophesied of this felled tree and the kingdom that would be stripped away. Every indication is that that kingly Davidic line would be cut off a stump. As you know, Jesse is David's father, the stump of Jesse. Isaiah most certainly believed his own words. In chapter 6 and verse 13, he says, this tree is a tree whose stump remains when it is felled. But here's his Here's where he recalls the promise. The holy seed is its stump. You may recall uh, John the Baptist making a reference similarly. As he's encountering religious leaders and speaking of the coming Lord Jesus, the one whom he couldn't even untie his sandals. He was not worthy to do so. But in Matthew 3.10, he tells the religious leaders, he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. 
Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what appears to have life and vitality is rendered dead, unfruitful in God's kingdom, cast out in judgment. And this is what appeared to be the case in the days of Isaiah for Israel, were it not for God's grace. Does this appear to be the case in our lives? A stump. Hope dying. Nothing growing. You know, folks, we've got record. We've got record of the eternal son born of the Virgin Mary. We look back today and this season, we look back in history and we celebrate God's faithfulness, yet we find ourselves often as misguided and faithless as the people of Isaiah's day. They were deaf, dumb, blind, unbelieving. But we believers, we believers, the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and ears and mouth and heart to believe upon the Savior of the world. And now we wait. And doesn't it it feel like we just wait? And we feel the tension of all things. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we wait. We wait. And in our waiting, do our Lives look hopeless, hopeless as this felled tree, lifeless, a stump bearing no fruit. Are our minds filled with doubts of God's faithfulness, his care, his goodness, or are they filled with the fruit of promise? Are our hearts distant from God, devoted to the moment? Here's why, here's why we oftentimes can't pay attention to it. 35 or 40 minute sermon because we are devoted to the moment. What's going on in in our lives that demands our time and our thoughts and our energy and our money? You're devoted to that and you're not thinking big picture. You're not thinking long term. You're not thinking God's grand glory in all things. Are we captive to those fleshly demands? And I would tell you that there is something encroaching on your life right now. Something encroaching on your life seeking to take ground for the kingdom of darkness. And slowly, very slowly maybe, it seeks to plant another stake in the ground. Another square inch of your mind and heart that the enemy wants. Will we fall prey to such an invasion or will we renew our zeal for the Lord in faith? We got to remember. We got to remember the promise. It's winter, metaphorically. God has not abandoned you. He's not forgotten you. He keeps covenant to a thousand generations. And it may be a long winter for you, but don't lose heart. 
the season of anticipation may feel endless. But don't lose heart. Remember the promise. Secondly, second response, worship through faith. Worship through faith. And some of y'all are like, that's an R and a W. I didn't know Matt could use words that started with different letters in his sermons. I just blew your mind. Worship through faith. It says here, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, but it also says a branch from his roots. Now, is this a contradiction? How can he be the shoot from the stump and the branch from the root? The resolution here can only come through this one-of-a-kind king. And our faith must be informed by the truth about this one king. And then our worship must be directed at this one king. As you heard me say or pray, don't recall at this point earlier, we worship in spirit and in truth. So we must know rightly about Jesus in order to worship him rightly. And unfortunately, we live in a land where a lot of people are worshiping Jesus wrongly because they believe wrongly about him. This text calls him the shoot. The shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, you may have heard that earlier. It's like, what does Jesse have to do with any of this? And I'm studying and reading. I'm like, why not call him David's son? Because that's what he's called in the New Testament. We see that, the son of David. Why not call him David's son, the great king of of Israel? Why Jesse? Why the stump of Jesse? The shoot from the stump of Jesse shows us how this king is not just another king. He's not just another guy that's, that's in the line of David, the Davidic kingly line. In fact, because of this, through this, he is portrayed as another David. So do you get the idea? He is not the son of David. He's the stump of Jesse. David was there, but there is another David. You know, you're reading through your Bible You may have encountered these statements uh, throughout the history literature, like 2 Chronicles 28. I mentioned Ahaz earlier. Here's what it says of Ahaz. It says, unlike David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You know, that's how it is with the kings. All the kings, as they go through Scripture and mention them, they're always sort of compared to David, the, the great king of Israel, how do you like that? Always being compared to somebody else. Somebody knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, part of me thinks that my parents didn't push me to play sports because they knew that they'd always be comparing my stats to my sister's. If you don't know, my sister is a phenomenal at was, right? Yeah. She has her shining moments, uh, sport-wise, but before her knees went bad. She was a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal athlete. (laughs) I'm finally recognizing it, okay? 
Well, you know, they didn't, they didn't want me to play. I, I think they were sick of traveling and games and all that, and they just said, you know, do what you want to do, okay? But I think deep down, they knew I wasn't going to be as good as she was, and I thank God I wasn't always compared to my sisters. You know, as a, as a young man, that, that would have been tough. My sister's skill. But you see what's happening. These, these kings, they did not measure up to what Israel understood was the best king. Oh, David. Man, if we could go back to the days of David. You're never going to be as good as David. You didn't do what David did. This is from God. He was set up as this king. But you know what? Even the best king failed to measure up to the promised king. What does he say? Against you and you alone have I sinned. And in effect, I deserve your wrath. I deserve your punishment. But a shoot, a shoot from Jesse lands on Isaiah and his hearers as a prophecy about another David, a new David, a better David. He comes after David, the shoot. He is better than David. Worship him, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. But he also calls, Isaiah prophesies about the root. So he's the shoot and he's the root. To call him the root of Jesse, as Matyer emphasizes, means that Jesse sprang up from him. Do you get that? He is the root support, as Matyer says, and origin of the messianic family in which he would be born. How can we say this? We can say, as the root, he was before. Let's go to the garden, the garden of Eden. Sin had corrupted everything, and you see the evidence of that. Right now you're tired because of sin. Right now, things are happening in the world that we would, we would faint at the knowledge of because they are so evil. These things are happening because sin entered the world. We see the brokenness. We see creation groaning. Storms, hurricanes, as we've watched recently. And then you can see the evidence of sin in your own flesh. You believer, you may know this. I know you know this. But you end up in that state of doing what you don't want to do. Not doing the things that you want to do. Just as our writer of our confession earlier wrote on our behalf. Sin corrupted everything. And Satan would do his damage. And you know, in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, God pronounced judgments on them. But he also pronounced judgment upon the serpent. Satan would do his damage, but he would not have the last word. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, offspring, shall 
bruise your head or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. So I want you to notice here, as Isaiah is clinging to the promise, he's clinging to this promise on behalf of all humanity. All humanity continues to exist and maintain whatever hope we can because of the seed, the offspring foretold in the garden. The offspring of the woman, the root of Jesse. He would be bruised by death, but he would rise in victory. From the stump comes the shoot. From its roots come the branch. You know why the angels rejoiced at the news of the incarnation? You know why songwriters have written songs about angels singing about the news of the incarnation? You know why we get together and sing songs about angels singing songs about the news of the incarnation? And we do this every year. Oh, really? We do this every Sunday. May God let us do it every day. But you know why we do this? Because the only sufficient answer for the comprehensive corruption of sin, the only sufficient remedy for our sin problem, the only hope for all of humanity, the offspring, the seed has come. Will you believe on him and worship him as the one who was before? but the one who came after, the I am, and the seed of the woman conceived by the Holy Spirit, will you renew your zeal through faith in him today? Remember the promise, worship through faith. Finally, thirdly, abide in Christ. Remember the promise, worship through faith, abide in Christ. And those of you who know your Bibles well, you're turning to John 15 in your mind, and you know where we're headed. But Isaiah 11.1 1 says, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This is similar to Jeremiah's prophecy, 23 and verse 5. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. You see, all who came before were flawed, sinful. David, a sinner. Not only were they flawed, but whatever supposed righteousness they had would never change your standing before God. Jesus, however, exceeds our expectations. He is righteous and reigns righteously, which all Israel hoped for. And honestly, I think a lot of Christians, are, they're, they're happy with that. Like, let him just be righteous and reign righteously. But we forget the extent to which his righteousness is effected in us. It's not just external. It's not just happening out there. It's not something that we will view his righteousness, his righteous reign. We certainly will. Don't forget that. But there is something more he came to do. More than this. He makes all of his people righteous. 
He brings in the harvest of everlasting fruit. Sinners forgiven, perfected, guiltless. They are, we are made righteous in Jesus Christ. How is that? Through faith. Through faith. The beauty of prophecy can't be missed when you remember that they are prophesying about Jesus. Zechariah 3, verses 8 and 9. I'll put it up there. I want to highlight just a couple of phrases. Zechariah 3, 8 and 9. Is it up there? Okay. Well, it's not up there. It says, I will bring my servant the branch. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Friends, we don't just have a ruler in the Lord Jesus. We don't just have a king. We have a savior. The garden promise, David's covenant, this kingdom will be forever. Isaiah's shoot. This king removes iniquity on a single day. So may I remind you of the reason Christ's incarnation. He came, set his face toward Jerusalem. He came ultimately to go to the cross, to be laid in the tomb and to rise again on the third day. John 12, 24, Jesus is teaching and he tells his disciples, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is the branch that comes to bear eternal fruit. This morning we look back We who believe, we recognize that our sin debt is paid, but we also recognize that sin is still present. The effects of sin, this fallen world. We go back to winter. It's winter. But how do we ensure that we're drawing upon true life? How do we bear eternal fruit? How do we become what God designed us to be? How do we maintain and abound in zeal for the Lord? How do we share that zeal he has for his own name? The answer is abide. Abide. Abide in Christ. John 15, 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Christians, we must understand what this means for our lives. Our lives in the winter, our lives in the context of people who hate Jesus. We must understand how to abide in Jesus by faith because just as you see 
when the winter is coming and the wind blows and those branches are falling to the ground. If you're like me, you're picking up sticks all the time. Let that be a reminder to you. Let that be a reminder to you that there are Christians, there are those who claim the name of Jesus, and we see them, those branches, falling. We see them not abiding. We see them disconnected. We see them useless in the kingdom. May this not be us. Christian, abide in him and abound in faith. You know how that's going to happen? The zeal of the Lord will do this. So as we conclude this morning, we remember the winter eventually turns into spring. We remember that this stump has a promised sapling, a branch. We remember that from death comes life. The promised king died, but he rose again in victory, and now we await his second advent. And so you who have not come to that place where you have followed Jesus, where you have confessed Jesus as Lord, turning from your sin and believing on him, The call of Jesus to you today is also a call to die. It's a call to come and die. And your baptism, really symbolically, your baptism will be the funeral for the old you. And at the same time, it's a birth announcement, a rebirth announcement, really, for a new creature, the real you. Embrace Jesus today. Become new in him. Have life. Bear fruit. Have the confidence of eternity with him. He came to save souls. He came to save sinners. And as we read earlier, you may be echoing that phrase and maybe even getting caught up on of whom I am the foremost. Maybe you're thinking that I have done too much, have disobeyed too much, I'm far worse than you have any idea. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. Recognize that God saves to the uttermost. You are not beyond his Reach and he will reach as far as he needs to with his righteous right hand that shoot from the stump, that branch from the root, our promised King, Lord Jesus. Respond to him in faith. We're going to sing a song together in just a moment that's familiar to most of you. I know whom I have believed. So let this be a proclamation this morning of your zeal for the Lord, your confidence in him, your hope in the Lord Jesus, in what he has done on that tree. And then 
leave here today abiding through faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in this word. We rejoice in the promise of Isaiah.